Today is Monday, March 30th, 2015, and this is episode 111 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Hey, Jerry. How you doing, man? Doing awesome. Thank you. How are you? I am good. It's Monday, so... Yeah. So, um, by the way, the uh, thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our employer. That's very true. Past, present, or future. Exactly. However, if you like our thoughts and are willing to pay us, what's our bidding up to now? Uh, two fifty. Two fifty. That's right. Okay. Uh, we we may adopt your opinions. That's true. We can be bought. Yeah. Everything has a price. Ah. Uh, so um, the, the High Tech Crime Investigation Association it has their annual meetup down in Orlando from August 30th through September 2nd of this year. And uh, we actually are, uh, are able to give away a ticket. And to enter the drawing for the ticket, we would like for you to mention the podcast on Twitter. So use the uh, use our, our Twitter handle at DefensiveSec. Uh, you can enter once per day. At the, uh, at, at the end of April, we will tally up the results and by the way, that's April 2015 for those of you listening much, much later. It's an important note. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if, it, if this is 2018, you're SOL. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we will uh, tally up th- the results at the end of April, and we will pick randomly and then announce uh, announce the winner in, in May. But, you know, one thing we would ask you is, you know, don't, don't enter unless you're really intending to go, right? Because, yeah, uh, this is... This is a $600 ticket. This is non-trivial. And this does not include any lodging or airfare, bus fare, train fare, hobo fare, however you choose to travel. Right. You got to get there on your own. That's right. That's right. So again, it is August 30th through September 2nd, 2015 in Orlando. That's for the conference. That's for the conference. And the contest goes... April 1st through April 30th. Okay. Also, if you don't win, but you want to go... Our listeners get a discount. 10% off the $595 price tag. Unless, by the way, you're a member and then you think it's considerably cheaper. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we get 10% off if you use the code Defensive Security. That's awesome. Absolutely. And in the interest of full disclosure, they're not paying us to say this. They have offered us free tickets. So um, they're just fans of the show and we like good knowledge building. So, um we agreed to mention them on the show, and we may be there. We haven't quite figured that out yet, but just just in the interest of full disclosure, that's that's the story for any sort of remuneration that may be. Uh, I'm here. intending to be there. You, you don't have to. You don't have to ask me twice to go to Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> Is the family going with you? Twist twist my arm. Yes. Yeah. Family will be going. I gotta figure it out. I got a lot of stuff going on in September, August time frame. Um, though upside, I do have full clearance and thumbs up from work uh, to go to DerbyCon, so I'm confirmed for DerbyCon. Awesome! I have my so, tickets in my room. I'm locked and loaded. 
Awesome. So you're staying in the Con Hotel again? I am. Okay. I am. I might I might go to the Marriott for the overflow. I don't know. Yeah, you we'll know. see. I'm also I'm also a Marriott. I like Marriott points. I'm, I'm a Marriott fan. But anyway, all that being said, as soon as like mainline tickets go on sale, uh, what is it? May one? I believe that's right. Yes. You so, can go to uh, DerbyCon.com and get your tickets, make your reservations. I do believe it is uh, after the first of May, though. Yeah, and for those who don't know, DerbyCon's in Louisville, Kentucky, late September. Yep, and we will be there. And uh, we had a we had just an awesome time last year, hitting the hitting the bar and watching some talks. Yeah, we may have to do something a little more logistically planful for a listener meetup this time, though. I'm thinking there may be more than 10 this time. Yeah, which is great. I mean, that's awesome. That's a great problem to have. I just think trying to mingle in with everybody else was fun, but a challenge. Maybe we'll have to find a find a spot. So maybe we'll have to do something official and get some you know, kind of pseudo RSVPs out there so we can get a count and do a listener night or something. And I don't know. That'd be fun. I like it. I like it. So, anywho, we're just killing airtime now, aren't we? That's right. Um, one more, one more uh, thing to kill airtime with is uh, we actually have started a Patreon campaign. Ah, uh, yes, thank you. I'd forgotten about that. And we've we've actually for those. Been... By the way, I'd never heard of it before, so maybe we yeah. should define what yes. Patreon. So Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, is a website where you can effectively sponsor content that you like. Right, so I signed up the podcast, and we've already got a couple of uh, donors. And and by the way, we greatly appreciate those of you who have already donated. And just just for context, right? I personally have spent uh, probably getting up to fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars of my own money, not including time spent producing this podcast. And you know, I. I, I get the sometimes I get the evil eye from my wife, so um, it would be would be uh, be very helpful to to us, you know. Every now and then, I've got a piece of equipment that dies, and I need to replace it. So uh, it's not free to publish this podcast. I do it because I love it. I believe in the mission, and I'm going to keep doing it, whether you donate or not. Uh, but if you so choose, I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, by the way, you and- can you can donate at Patreon.com/slash defensive sec we've joked about this but we are serious we really don't want to take sponsors we really don't we have had opportunities we've had folks ask us about it uh we like being completely unbiased we like being able to say what we honestly believe so that is important to us and um you know nobody's trying to get rich off a podcast that's for sure but i personally feel that as soon as you take a sponsor especially well, let me put it this way. A sponsor that's in the uh, – a vendor, if you will, or a service provider aside from like a broad educational provider like you know, like a conference, um, it influences your commentary. Absolutely. And uh, we – at least I personally uh, don't want those kind of golden handcuffs. So nope. – um, and you know – just, just so in the interest of transparency, well, I've also offered to chip in to help Jerry with costs, and you know he he turns his nose up at me. <laughs> My money's not good enough for him. Oh, That's whatever. not true. I helped. I helped on some swag. You did. I'll, I'll split. I'll split ongoing swag with you. I told you anytime. I'll I'll kick in. I'll go. I'll go halvesies with you. I know. I know. I'm not yeah. complaining. Probably nobody cares about this part of the conversation. We're just. Yep. Yeah, everybody. 
you know, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Yeah, we're turning to morning zoo, aren't we? <sighs> yeah. Speaking of that, so let's uh, let's go ahead and get into our our uh, discussion topics. The first thing we I had on the docket for tonight is actually not a story, but something you had wanted to talk about, which is the upside and downside of firewall management and where it belongs in the organization. So, well, you want to tee it up? Yeah, you know, this is such an old old debate, but I was talking to a good buddy. And he spun this back up, man. I was like, man, we have never really talked about it on the show. And so the concept fundamentally is you've got firewalls in your organization, whether they be mainline firewalls, whether they be routers with ECLs, whatnot. And who should do the administration of those devices? And we'll leave managers providers out of the picture for a moment. And you know, it's it's a religious debate amongst some whether it should be the networking team or it should be the security operations team or the security team. And it really depends on the organization, how they're split up, how they're organized. But let's say for the sake of conversation, you've got a mainline network team, you've got a mainline security team. Who should run the firewalls? And the debate that is often presented is the firewall is a router, typically. And it is in core critical function path and the networking team is paid to keep the network up and running. So they should be the guys running the firewalls because it's critical networking gear. The flip side of that debate is, but the networking team is paid to keep the network up and running. So they're going to default to performance and uptime over security. So they may not be as willing or as able to do anything that might impact production because they are held accountable to uptime and production and throughput, whereas the security team may be more willing to perhaps impact production traffic for the sake of security. So where do you come out on that? I believe... The firewall is a security device first. And the security team should own the firewalls and the firewall policy because it is your key choke point for many, many things. It, one, makes sure that you've got the right folks understanding what the implication of rules being put in place mean and do. They're in the right position to push back when somebody says, I need all the high ports opened between this server and this server. Wait a second, why? Yeah, that's not a good plan. Uh, I'm going to say this with as much respect as I can muster because I started as a firewall guy. I spent most of my career as a firewall guy. And it's a great skill set to have. However, being a firewall admin, if that is the totality of your skill set, does not a security guy make you. Because you know how to admin a firewall well, doesn't necessarily mean you have the skill set to understand the implication from a risk and availability and risk tolerance and risk mitigation, all this other stuff, of what those rules actually mean in context of the company's risk tolerance. You could. You very well could. But that is a separate skill set you have to develop outside of the firewall administration skill set. Right, Knowing how to put a rule into whatever vendor, whether it be Checkpoint, Juniper, Palo Alto, Cisco, 
knowing how to construct and put in a rule to get traffic to flow is different than knowing whether or not that traffic should flow. And this is a common mistake firewall admins make if they're from the network side of the house, typically. And by the way, same problem with managed service providers. Managed service providers have the exact same fundamental flaw. They're just there to put the rules in you tell them to put in. They don't know if it's a good rule or bad rule. So in my mind, if the security team owns the firewalls, it gives them a checkpoint to know what's going on, control the launch of applications, control the launch of all sorts of stuff because they're the ones who have to make a change, typically, if you've got a tight rule base, before something can launch. They're also much more interested, typically, in securing outbound traffic than networking guys. These are generalities, right? There's always exceptions to this rule. But I think it's a security device. It should be managed by a security team. What do you think? I guess I'm I'm maybe a little less hardcore on that one. To me, it seems like the security people ought to own the rule base. But I think that's a different thing than necessarily kind of quote owning the firewall. I you know I think clearly the security staff should be in in some way, shape, or form involved in approving rule changes. But I can I can certainly see the you know the the argument to be made about availability, and and you know every organization is going to be a little bit different in what they really care about you know because every organization's kind of got to figure out where they live on the continuum between availability and security. Um, but in my experience, it's you know it's unfortunately always been a little far closer to the availability end of the spectrum. And so often looking for those opportunities for middle ground, right? Um, so that, that'd be my, you know, if I, in an ideal world, that's how I would probably structure it if it made sense. And, you know, the, the, the downside to that is it just adds complexity to, to the whole operation. And so it might not work real well in a smaller, what, what, what adds complexity? Uh, splitting responsibility like that. So the networking team owns the OS level, the routing level. Yeah, the, maybe the physical... The appliance level. The physical piece of hardware. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. And the uh, the security team owns the rule base. Now there's a, you know, there's a question to be said or asked, well, who physically implements the rule changes? You know, and I could go either way. It really depends on... The maturity of the, of the organization. If if you can set it up so that the firewall people are able to make the rule changes and they will not do it without the approval of the security team, well, you know, there you go. Well, but, that's where push comes to shove, right? So if the security team says no and the network team wants to do it, you know, they've got they've got a production rollout to do, or they got some VP standing over their shoulder. It, yeah, I mean, it 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 comes down to discipline, right? So, um, you know, if, if that's your concern and you feel like that is the case, then I agree with you. Well, you know, the other topic that came up at, at launch when I was talking to my buddy about this was what about routers? Should they be security devices? Should they have ACLs? Or should you handle 
that stuff on a true firewall. Oof. Wait, that, that, that depends so much on your environment, though. I know, but there's... So th- the context of this conversation that I was having was when you've... You know, the fundamental is who runs your, your security. Is it your networking team or is it your security team was kind of the thing. And the network guys are very, very comfortable with doing ACLs on routers and, you know, especially in Cisco shops where they've kind of drunk the Cisco Kool-Aid. Um, not saying that's a bad thing, but, you know, Cisco is a bit of a cult. We all know that. Um, and he was grousing that there was a lot of ACLs being thrown out on routers that, could be put on firewalls that are right next to the routers. Mm. And, you know, he was saying it, it, it makes, for a security standpoint guy, a lot tougher to understand what's going on. ACLs, and I agree with him, I don't think ACLs are as strong from a security standpoint as a true firewall. Okay. I get what you're saying now. I, my, my view is, you know, I, I would not implement ACL, router ACLs, in lieu of firewall rules. I think they could be complementary, you know, because mm-hmm. so, sometimes it would make sense from a, a performance standpoint or, or, or you know, there's potentially a number of different reasons why you would want to do that. But I wouldn't, you know, I, I would also implement the same kinds of rules in your firewall. Yeah. As a, as a backstop. And they should never I- hit, but. <laughs> I've always had the opinion, and I can't really back this up scientifically, but a, a firewall rule and an ACL on a Cisco router of the exact same traffic, the firewall is tougher to subvert than the router with the ACL. Yeah, that's Modern fair. firewall. In general. That's fair. That's fair. I don't think of a router ACL as a strong a security as a firewall with a rule. Well, I think it depends on exactly what you're trying to do, you know, what, yeah. what the nature of your rule is. If it's a very simple, you know, drop a drop a particular block of traffic, I think you can probably do that pretty well in a in a router ACL. You can, you know, I could. The complexity there is now you've got two different enforcement points that are logging into two different spots. Yep. Two different places to audit. Two different places to troubleshoot. Um, it seems messier to me. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I can tell you don't have a very strong opinion on this topic. <laughs> not, not particularly, uh, but I, I do think you're, you, you bring up a good point in that if, if you have a, if you have a kind of a, a segregated or distribution enforcement point, it's difficult to piece it all together. Right. Um, but I guess in the environments I've, I've recently been in, you know, it's all dis, it's all distributed anyway. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of benefit in, in that. But I think in a in a smaller setting, that certainly makes a lot of sense. I'll go with you there. All right. Anyway, just a topic. Uh, yep. You know, we haven't really gone off on any sort of topics lately, so uh, it was just one that came up recently in a in a lunch meeting that I thought I'd throw at you and see what you thought. Sure. Um, I'm a bit of a purist, you know, but then again. Uh, I've done both. I've done firewall admin. I've done network admin. And, you know, I like using the right tool for the right job. And, you know, it, it's sort of like UTM firewalls. I'm not a big fan of the add-on AV or the add-on web filtering. I think they're okay, um, but they're not great 
much like I don't think ACLs and routers, uh, they're okay, but they're not great. They're not the core competency of the product. Right. Well, so. I'm with you there. Uh, all right. So our next topic is, um, it, this actually started with a, uh, a Twitter conversation I was having with a couple of people. And um, I think it was spurred by a recent publication by the PCI Council, uh, which, which pointed out uh, some, or I guess it was, uh, uh, let's see, what was the name of the document? It's related to penetration testing. So oh, their penetration te- yeah, guidance? Implementation guidance? supplement penetration testing guidance, right. And and so the, the topic of conversation was, should we even allow, or should the, the PCI Council or PCI DSS even allow for the concept of, of segmentation and um, you know, uh, drawing boundaries around your CDE versus considering the entire, the entire network and scope. And wow, yeah, um, you know, on the one hand, there's a really good argument to be made why it's a bad idea, um, because we see time and time again where that concept fails. But I will tell you, after having read this guidance, that that's what this guidance is intended to you know to address right to, um, to test the segmentation controls yeah yeah exactly exactly so so historically the problem has been that you know every every well not every or everyone but i would say the average organization going through a, a pci audit does their their darndest to limit the scope of what's being tested and they do it for lots of different reasons, costs and, you know, and, and, and on and on. But the problem is, you know, again, this comes down to incentives, right? The problem is that you may not fully understand all of the ways into the CDE. And, and so we end up with things like Target where, yeah, they, you know, presumably passed their PCI audit and thought they had the right level of segmentation in place. But obviously they didn't. And so on the one hand, the question is, well, is it reasonable to even allow tarts a target? I'm just picking on them, not not intending to, right? But uh, should target be able to draw a circle around what they want to have in scope for their, their PCI exam, or should it be everything? And that's a good question. But on the other side, particularly in these larger organizations, I think there's a lot of peril in putting too much in scope, you know, because you would never get done, you know. Well, yeah, let's take the target example. If everything were in scope, does that include every vendor network that connects into their environment? Yeah, and I mean, at some point you have to stop, right? Where, where do you, where do you stop? You know what? <laughs> there, there's a, there's always so, a demarcation point. I think what. In my mind, this is a failure to test the control, not a failure of the control. Agreed. I, I am 100% for segmentation. And, and you know, I'm not – if I've got a PCI environment and I've got cartola data environment, I don't want Susie's secretary's laptop in Denver to be included in that. That makes no sense to me, especially if she has zero way of connecting. Now, if we're not doing a good job of segmenting, truly segmenting our cardholder data environments and we're half-assing that that's the problem and i think that is the con- i think that is the very concern is that 
you know, historically we have been we, the royal we, have been half-assing this. And the- and so this comes back on the, on frankly, um, the QSAs a bit to. It's really the, the bigger your scope, the more expensive the audit is. So it behooves an organization to segment properly. And I think you could drive that behavior from a, from a QSA saying, sorry, you're, yeah, you've got a firewall there, but you've got an any, any, any accept rule in place. That's not a segmentation. So guess what? All this other stuff is in scope. Um, right. You know, and drive that behavior from, from a cost perspective. Uh, it's really expensive. Now, the problem is if you're already up and running, how do you re-architect into a properly segmented environment is probably non-trivial. But if you're net new, right, if for whatever reason you're building a brand new environment, by God, segment it. If possible, give it its own internet connectivity, give it its own routers, give it its own switches, completely separate that crap. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, don't get fancy with VMware, right? <laughs> Keep that shit separate. Your, your life is going to be so much easier. So uh, kind of going off a little bit of rant here, but I in no way would agree with getting rid of segmentation. I think that that is fraught with peril, and I think we would lose the forest for the trees. However, we do need to audit that segmentation and make sure it's properly done. Yeah, I, I agree, and that's what again, that's what this this uh, supplement from the PCI Council is intended to do. And you know, I, it, it it remains to be seen how well it will be implemented in practice. But the point of it is. To, to have, you know, as part of the assessment process, uh, a consideration of all the different ways into the CDE and anything that has the ability to get into the CDE is, you know, is effectively becomes part of the CDE and needs to be tested accordingly. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, this, this penetration testing guidance also talks about, you know, running the testing from the perspective of, Internal networks that are not on the CDE. Um, now, it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect thing, right? Because there are some, you know, they, they talk about, uh, in really complicated environments, it might not be practical to run a test from every internal network. And so, so what they recommend is you, the, the QSA tries to, uh, bucketize the different kinds of networks and, and connectivity techniques and look for commonalities and then test from a, you know, a representative sample of each one of those kinds of connections. And, you know, well, well there's, now, there's the problem. Yeah, exactly. So that's, you know, there's, there's a potential for, but I for think failure. If, if, if security and enterprise architecture are doing their job properly, we wouldn't be half-assing this to begin with, right? If we're relying on the QSA to catch it, we're missing stuff from the design and execution standpoint. Oh, clearly. Clearly. And, right, and so. this, this is something that I, I, fundamentally, and I've written about this in the past, that I just think in, in general, people, by people I mean IT architects, don't really understand how this crap can fail, how IT right. infrastructure can fail. And and this is, I think, your your point is very valid. We We... Don't do a good job, and then we look to the QSA to, you know, give us a rubber stamp or point us to where we're wrong. And I, I mean, this with all due respect to the PCI Council and QSAs, but if our security plan program is being driven purely by PSI, PCI, we have failed. 
we should be architecting this for best practices in security, not because we want to pass our PCI on it. That should be secondary to good to good security. Now, that's much easier said than done. But I've seen so many organizations that are chasing the bare minimum of getting through their PCI on it. If you have built properly from the ground up with security in mind, there's nothing revolutionary in PCI. It's all common sense. That's right. So, you know, the problem is it's, it's reconstructing the aircraft in flight. It's really difficult if you're already up and going. And it, it's dangerous and it's fragile and it's risky to make big changes on your production environment if, if your business is reliant upon that. Yeah, but I think the average observer would say this, the, the requirement here isn't new. Maybe the understanding of your obligations relative to segmentation is new, but you should have already had this in place, right? This this shouldn't require a big re-architecting. Well, is this going back to PCI is not as powerful as we think it is? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) I think so. I mean, I see games played every day with, uh, you know, auditors it's the tap dance it's you know we reported on a story not too long ago where people uh, lose compliance very quickly after the audit's over yeah yeah it's a i I used to work for a for the coo of a company and used to call this kind of thing a kabuki dance (laughs) everybody everybody has their roles they all everybody knows how it's going to turn out and you just go through the motions now the flip side is we can't also be a slave to compliance. There are times when you might tell, you might make a decision that is perhaps not ideally compliant. Yeah, you, know, you still have a business yeah. to run. That's true. You know, and maybe you put a mitigating control in or something. I don't know, but you know, at the end of the day, you still need to not be driven by the QSA. If that if that's what's driving your security program, I think your leadership is weak. And security. Yeah, fair enough. So, um, well, we beat that one to death. So, yeah, we did. So, and we'll, please write in with your thoughts. <laughs> yes. Moving on. Moving on. Um, our our last story uh, comes from Ars Technica, and the title is "GitHub Battles Largest DDoS in Sites History Targeted at Anti Censorship Tools." This is crazy. This is a really interesting. Uh, re- really interesting story. So uh, this started last Thursday, March 26th, and uh, they've been kind of DDoSed off the map. But w- what makes it crazy and unique is the way in which the DDoS is being carried out. So apparently what's happening is that uh, visitors to Baidu, the search engine in China, and a couple of, uh, I guess, a couple of other pages who are not in China, if they if there's a visitor to one of those websites, the what appears to be happening is that the you know the the Great Firewall of China um, is rewriting the web page a little bit and adding some JavaScript so that the user not only is requesting the web page of Baidu, but also is requesting a couple of URLs from GitHub. So basically everybody visiting, you know, not in China, visiting Baidu 
is also hammering GitHub. And, uh, you know, and, and that makes it probably damn near impossible to use conventional DDoS mitigation techniques because it's, you know, basically legitimate web browsers. You know, what legitimate looking web browsing activity coming from all, probably all corners of the earth. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I, there's not a, not a great story here. They're, they appear to be continuing to wrestle with this. I would love to know what kind of mitigations and defenses they're putting in place. I, I have a personal fascination with DDoS because it's a really tough problem. And this is one I think a lot of companies underestimate the threat of. Uh, I agree. I agree. Um, I, the, you so, know, they, they've on their status page that they've, you know, if, if you kind of read through the history, you know, they'll, they'll, there's a, you know, oh, we, we got it back up and running. Everybody sh- should be okay. And then, you know, something's changed and we're down again. So it, they have been actively fighting this. Yeah. Nonstop. The, the attackers are keep changing tactics keep changing source, which is what you have to do, right? I mean, a DDoS is a constant evolving arms race. Right. Um, and it's a really, really tough problem to solve. And, uh, you know, one thing we've said before is that if, if your DDoS defense is a box sitting on your site at the end of your serial links, you're probably in trouble. Somebody can always play who's got a bigger pipe with you. That's right. So you almost always have to involve either a content delivery network or an ISP or something to really sustain against these big, big DDoSes. So I really hope that they publish their defenses. I don't know if they ever will, but I'd love to dig into what exactly they were fighting and how they were fighting it and what was effective and what wasn't uh, and, and share that with our listeners. Well, maybe they will. Yeah. But it's still ongoing. Uh, I believe it's still going on as we speak tonight. Uh, yep. That's uh, that. Last I, last I look earlier today, it was still going on. So, although I have been able to get to the site, so um, apparently, oh yeah, that's because you're just participating in the attack. <laughs> well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and, and so we're not going to touch on the attribution aspect of this. Well, you know, of course the uh, of course it's China, right? So right. so the, the two the two URLs at GitHub that are. Uh, are being hammered are the great fire or github.com slash great fire and github.com slash CNNY times. So anti-censorship tools. Yeah. So two anti-censorship tools, two, two tool. I think great fire is intended to figure out what sites are being blocked by the, the firewall in China. And uh, I don't recall what the CNN, CNNY times does, but, but yeah, they're, they're intended to be anti-censorship tools. And so they're, you know, the, Contemporary belief is that uh, only China would really be able to be in a position to modify traffic coming into their country, i.e. through Baidu. Baidu has said, it's not us. We're not doing it. So, you know, of course, everybody's pointing the finger at the Chinese government, which, by the way, is not a crazy thing because apparently, you know, the U.S. has it's come out that the U.S. was. In fact, responsible for DDoSing North Korea off the map after the Sony debacle. Yeah, I think they used like an Apple II. <laughs> yes. Pretty that sure. They could be. It was, I think it was just like a couple of syslog streams just took them down. It was, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, po- point is that it's not unprecedented that a, a a rather mature government might do something like that. So. Yeah, you know, but let's be clear. At the same time, there's probably people in China who are the average everyday folk who agree with their government that we don't agree with. So. Just because it has to do with a government policy doesn't mean that it has to be the government doing it. There's all sorts of folks who would do things to support their government because they're, in their own minds, patriots and no, back their government up. That's a, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. So, you know, it could be anonymous in China knocking this out. It doesn't have to be the government. I mean, it might be, but it doesn't have to be. No, no. I suppose you're right. I'm just saying. Oh, whatever. Yeah, we have that. We have this fascination with blaming nation state because we all want to be James Bond. And I'm like, come on, guys. I think it. I think it lends. You know, it 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 adds a an an air of insurmountability, right? Thank you, Mandiant. <laughs> exactly. You know, if if you're if you're being attacked by um, a nation state. You know, you're, you're totally in the victim space. Whereas if you're being attacked by organized crime, you know, your, your controls aren't good enough. And what if you're being attacked by some llamas? Ooh, really fast llamas? Maybe, maybe. I, I, you know, I didn't want to specify too carefully. I just, in general, um, hey, could, that could be a big problem. That could be. All right. We may, have to re- we may have to revise our show logo and add a llama. I agree. I agree. It could be like our our, our uh, you know our mascot, right? The show mascot could be. So, as a reminder, starting April first through the month of April, one entry per day. Mention us on Twitter, and you can win a ticket. That's right. The conference worth five hundred ninety-five dollars. It's true, but please, please be able to go. Please, that's right. We don't, we don't, we don't want to waste a ticket. That's right. All right. Well, that is our show for this evening, and uh, with that, we will uh, we'll talk again next week. If you again, if you like the show, give us some iTunes love. We love five star reviews. Uh, you can find the show on the web at www.defensivesecurity.org, where you will find. Uh, the show notes to this week's stories and uh, with links to this week's stories and back episodes and, and other fun stuff. You can follow the show on Twitter at Defensive Sec. You can follow Mr. Callet on Twitter at Lurg. You can follow me on Twitter at Malicious Link. And with that, we'll talk again next week. See you guys. Good night. Take care. Bye. We'll be honest with you, I only had time to glance at the stories. Oh, but fuck's sake. But I'm such a professional, I don't need to read them. <laughs> you, have a, you have a very healthy opinion of yourself, Mr. Kelly. Using the Gartner hype cycle, I am now predicting, I'm making the call right now, we have reached peak zombie. Really? So now we're down, we're going to head into the, to the uh, trough of disillusionment? I believe so. Huh. I, uh, I'm making that call. I could be wrong. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.